Hey, good morning. Welcome to Reason Church. My name is Jesse Lusco, and it's such a joy to have you here. You know, we're a new church, and uh, it's just so exciting. Maybe you're new here for the first time, and you're coming into a new church. You're kind of joining us right as this thing is getting going, and that's exciting because it brings so many different possibilities. And we say that we're a church that exists to welcome doubters, to welcome skeptics. You know, I know there are some churches where uh, uh, sometimes you can almost feel sort of blacklisted. You can kind of feel like if you voice any sort of question, you voice any kind of doubt, that immediately maybe you've been written off. But I just want you to know that you've stepped into a space of grace. You've stepped into an environment of warmth and welcome. And regardless of what you're up against, regardless of where you're coming from, we're just thrilled to have you here this morning. Now... I want to ask you a question, and something that maybe is personal. We kind of sang about it just a moment ago in that song, Oh God. But I want to ask you, have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt truly, deeply isolated? Like maybe you had an issue and you just didn't even know where to begin voicing it or talking to somebody. Maybe you felt so alone that you just wish you could scream, but if you did, you think nobody would hear you. Have you ever been in the kind of place where you have something and it's just nagging at you, eating away at you, wearing you down, heavy burdens on your shoulders, but there's no one else to carry them with? Well, if you feel alone, you are not alone in feeling alone. I read an article that was pretty fascinating from the American Sociological Review, and there was a study done by some sociologists at Duke University and some other sociologists from ASU, and they did interviews with uh, 1,500 people face-to-face, and they found that one out of four people feel like they have nobody that they can share life's tragedies or triumphs with. One out of four If you remove immediate family members from the equation, one out of two people in that study said that they have nobody that they can share their struggles with. People who are chronically, tragically alone. It's been called the disease of the modern era. The Census Bureau did a study where they published findings saying that that the, the... rate of people who are unaffiliated and unrelated and and people who are just, you know, live alone, they don't have any many connections, has tripled in the last 60 years. You see, you and I are living in the most individualistic culture that has ever existed in planet Earth, where people value their independence. They value doing their own thing, going their own way. And, and, And if we have this picture of lonely people on our mind kind of being like the loser, somebody who doesn't know anybody, somebody who's just kind of an introvert, maybe they're kind of weird, that's the wrong idea of what it means to feel lonely. Anne Hathaway is one of the most well-known actresses of our day. She's constantly in in, uh, blockbuster films. She said this, Loneliness is my least favorite thing about life. The thing that I'm most worried about is just being alone without anybody to care for, without anyone to care for me. Albert Einstein said, It's strange to be so universally known and yet so utterly lonely. Finally, Brad Delp, he was uh, the lead singer of Boston, 
And at the age of 55 years old, he tragically ended his own life. And pinned to his shirt was a note that said, I am a lonely soul. In our age of independence, in our age of individualism, in our age that says, go your own way, be your own man, that you should follow your dreams, follow your heart, don't allow anyone to stop you. We found ourselves going our own way, but when you go your own way, you always go it alone. Well, whether you're facing that kind of loneliness today, whether you're up against that or not, you need to know that you are in a space of grace, that you're in a place of warmth and welcome, that this church exists to not simply be an event you attend, but a community that you are a part of. That it's our desire that, that we would not simply just be these, these uh, disingenuine people who just go through the game of church every Sunday. But we genuinely want to know people. We want people to feel valued, people to feel loved, people to feel connected, that friendships would form, that people would be a part of something. From the very inception of the church, as my wife and I prayed about it, as we talked about it, as we dreamt about it, it was our desire that this would be a climate of kindness, that it would be an atmosphere that brings people near, that the people who serve at the church, that people who are a part of the church, people who, who go to the church, who attend it, that they would have this outward-mindedness. It's so easy to be self-involved. I mean, you, you know, on your own phone, on your own device, on your own, doing, on your own profile, looking at your comments, looking at your feed, and, and, and so alienated in your own world, so self-involved, so inbred. But it's our desire that we lift up our eyes to those around us, that we'd share each other's hurts, we'd celebrate each other's victories, that this would be a place of grace, that this would be a true community. And that's what we're saying this morning. That's precisely what Paul has on his radar when he writes Colossians chapter 3. Paul knew that we are better together. Would you look with me in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 12? Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ Rule in your heart, since as members of, everybody say it with me, one body, would you say that with me? One body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
Lord, I ask right now that if anybody stepped into this place and they feel alone and they feel isolated and, and maybe they feel like they can't connect with anybody, Lord, I pray that first of all, they would know that you are with them. Over and over again in your word, you speak that to people, that you are with us, that you're here with us, and that, you, that, that we can't go anywhere from your presence. But Lord, I thank you that it doesn't just stop there, but that you've called us to be with one another. You've called us to be a part of one another. You've called us to care for one another, to value one another. Lord, and I pray with everything inside of me that if people walked in here alone this morning, that today would be the day that that changes, that they don't have to go through life alone. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thought, you kind of heard it all in the introduction, is really this, that solo flights don't go far. You probably noticed in the passage that over and over again, he's saying that we'd love one another, that we'd forgive one another, we'd bear with one another, that we're one body, that we would teach one another. And really, I could have preached this, I could have preached this message really at any point within the Unrivaled series. I could have preached it from anywhere in Colossians. And the reason why is because in the Greek, every single thing he has written has been written in the plural. He's been writing to a church. He's been writing to a people. Imagine if I bought you a gift. And you're like, oh, Jesse, that is so thoughtful of you. Thank you for buying me this gift. You, know? you open it up and you unwrap the gift and you're a pair of ice skates. Amazing. I always knew that I was meant to be a figure skater. You just see me. I'm going to be a queen out there on the ice. I'm going to be beautiful, you know, and you're just ready, getting ready to do your moves. And I'm like, man, uh, well, that's kind of awkward. But um, actually, bro, we're starting a hockey team. (laughs) I don't know what you're thinking about figure skating. You know, some of us, we hear the message of salvation, and we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, and it certainly is something personal. But when Jesus saves you, he saves you into a community. When he buys you the gift of salvation, it's not for you to be a figure skater out there doing your own thing, flailing about. We're on a team. All right, we're on a team. He's brought us into a people. He's brought us into a community. Quack, quack, quack. Emilio, right? (laughs) It's like we're on a team. And speaking of birds, birds know this, don't they? You know that a bird can fly 70% further in a flock than it can fly with the same amount of energy by itself. It's like the most simple thing. But in our day and age, we just have, have just completely forgotten uh, this mentality. And, and we've gone out and, and we live these isolated lives and we live these individualistic lives and we live lives unto ourselves. But we are better together. We can fly further. We can soar higher. We can get places faster. We were saved into a movement of a people on a mission. Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. If you are following Jesus, you cannot follow him alone. 
And yet, in our day and age, people seem to not like this idea very much. We hear about people who say, you know, I'm into Jesus, but I'm not really into that whole Sunday morning thing. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't really go to church. And really all that is is, is people just buying into the philosophy that our culture at large has bought into. And, and that's that being your own person, following your own dreams, pursuing your own destiny, that that's the most fulfilling life. But you know what Jesus tells us? That love is the secret to the most fulfilling life. That service is the secret to the most fulfilling life. And you cannot do those things by yourself. Every metaphor that's employed in the entire scripture that talks about Christians is one that's collective. What do we get compared to? Is you follow the metaphors that are everywhere in scripture? We're a field. We're a flock. We're a family. We're an army. We're a temple being built up brick by brick. We're a body with many members, but one whole. And if we try to do that, in and of ourselves, I mean, you can't very well be an army by yourself. If you can, you need to go see a psychiatrist, all right? Like, if, if you think you can do that, it's like the voices, man. Like, that's not good. Like, like, you have to be with other people if you want to be a follower of Jesus. He's building a church. The word church literally means a gathering, Okay, so you talk to these people and they're like, yes, I have church out alone in nature. It's like, are you having a gathering with woodland creatures? Like, are you having, the the Greek word means assembly. I actually grew up with a really close family member who, who said this my whole life. One of my closest family members, she'd always just say, you know, I go to church in nature. I don't, I don't feel like going to church. I don't believe in that organized religion thing. But you know what's been tragic for me is to watch her life. She is one of the most lonely people I've ever known. She really is. And, I, and I've watched over the years her become more and more isolated and more and more involved in her own world. And it's like, yeah, you can go on hikes. That's amazing. I hope you go on hikes and you talk to God. You can, you can go kayaking. You can go down the river. You can go do these different things. But you cannot be the church by yourself. And you will never follow Christ fully if you try to follow him alone. It takes a team. There are over 61 another's in the New Testament. You're like, well, why don't I just go read my Bible by myself? It's like, you can read your Bible by yourself. I hope you do read your Bible by yourself. But you have to apply the Bible together. Because there's 60 times where it says that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to pray for one another. We're supposed to bear with one another. We're supposed to encourage one another. We're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to forgive one another. You cannot do that in and of yourself. And I would say you can't really do it just going to church once a month. You can't really begin to meet people and build these loving relationships that are fulfilling. If you just kind of are on the fringes and you're like, I'm going to hit it up this week. I'm going to miss it that week. I don't really got time. And I, just, I need you to know something, though. I need you to know my heart as I say all of this. I'm not here trying to insult you. I'm trying to inspire you. I'm not here to condemn you. I want to challenge you. I ain't just calling you out. I'm calling you up that we'd rise up, that we'd activate and accomplish the things that God's called us to, but we will never accomplish them if we try to do them in and of ourselves. Check out this verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. 
Let us think of ways to motivate, everybody say it together with me, one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together the way some people do. Even back then they were doing it. You think you're like, well, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm not going to go to church. I'm so original. I'm doing my own thing. It's like, no, man, it's always been an issue. It's always been a problem. But encourage one another, especially as we see the day of his return drawing near. What do we talk about here? We say we're a church that believes in reason. Everybody say it with me. Reason, passion, action. Would you say that with me one more time? We're a church that believes in reason, passion, action. We can't take the kind of action that God wants for us by ourselves. We need other people who are stirring us to love and good works. See, this is what it's like when you try to live as a follower of Jesus, but not love the church. When you say you love Jesus, but you don't love the local church, this is what you look like. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 15, and 16. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. See, when you think, it's gross, right? That's gross. That's gross. When you think you can be a Christian without being part of the body, this is what you look like. This is what you look like. It's, it's Paul's metaphor, not mine. It's gross, right? Everybody say it with me together. It's gross. All right? When God looks at you and you say, you know, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm just going to kind of do it my own way. I don't need those other people. I don't need other people involved in my life. This is what we look like. Yeah, this is real. You know, Multnomah County Morgue. No, just kidding. I'm joking. No, it's totally ordered it online. But I've fooled you there for a moment. <laughs> it's, Oregon's a very free place, right? They just, I'm just kidding. This is seriously what we look like. I know it's vivid. I know it's graphic. But that's how seriously Jesus takes it. That's how seriously he looks like. God thinks it's gross when his people cut themselves off from the body. He thinks it's gross because he knows that it's, it, it's for our good. We need one another. But here's the thing. It's going to be hard being together. People are difficult. People are frustrating. I've heard people say, you know, I'd love the ministry if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> it's like, dude, you can't have any ministry without any people. That's why people go write like theology books and stuff, right? They just like go right by themselves in a castle somewhere, in a monastery. Next thing you need to write down, so solo flights don't go far. Next thing is that rivalries end when grace rules the ring. Thank you, Eric. Everybody say it with me one more time. That's gross. That's gross. You're never going to forget that one. You will never forget that one. Rivalries end when grace rules the ring. He says this. He says, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, if you really take what God's word is telling you, because I'm not telling you this. This is God's word that's telling you this. That we're supposed to be, everybody say it with me, one body. Let's say it together. One body. If we really try to be one body, you know what's going to happen? It's a matter of time 
till somebody offends you. It's just a matter of time. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. Maybe I'll be the one who offends you. Maybe you'll be like, I don't like his style of leadership. I don't like the way they do the music. Or, or maybe it'll be somebody you get to know as you start having community, as you start having your friendship. You're like, well, somebody at that church was mean to me. Somebody burned me. You know, we want to be a space of grace. It's our desire, man. We know people have had bad experiences, and we're doing everything we can to be a place of compassion. But you know what? Sometime, you get a whole bunch of sinners together, you know what's going to happen? Some sinners are going to sin. <laughs> And they're going to sin against each other. And somebody's going to hurt you. But you know what? Rivalries will end when grace rules the ring. Community is a full contact sport. All right? You need to wear a helmet sometimes when you come to church. Like, you are going to collide with people. Maybe you're on the team. Maybe you already serve here. Or maybe you're going to join the team because we are going to have the most bad-to-the-bone team night you've ever seen this Wednesday. It's going to be out of control. Reason Church is going up, 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 up. Right? We're having it over at, over at 15 floors up on this amazing patio. The Pearl District is going to be a blast this Wednesday. But maybe you're going to come and maybe, you know, somebody's going to offend you. Maybe you're on the team and somebody already offended you and you feel frustrated. But you know what? Well, I know what the whole base of our community is. The base, the HQ of our community is grace. It's grace. Grace is how we got in. Grace is how we're going to stay in. All right? Grace is how we're not going to bail out, flake out, fail out, fall out. How we're not going to have these rivalries, these enmity. When Jesus rules your ring the rivalries come to an end. When Jesus is unrivaled, when his message of grace, his message of forgiveness, his message of the, the fact that when, when he, he put up with you, he bore with you, he's put up with me. Man, he's put up with me so much. He's shown me so much grace, so much compassion, so much kindness, patience, forbearance. He's shown that to me. And recipients of grace must become distributors of grace. And that's the way our community is going to hold together. You know what? You probably got a problem with some other pastor down the street, or maybe that's why you came in here. You know, a day's going to come, you're going to have a problem with me. But you know what? You're going to hopefully have learned, because we preach about it every single week, you're going to learn to walk in grace. You're going to learn to have compassion. You're going to learn to have kindness. Why? Because as we are recipients of grace, we become distributors of grace. Grace brings humility, and humility brings unity. But pride divides. See, religious people, they're prideful because they, it's all about your ego. It's all about your name. It's all about what you're going on. It's, it's all about proving yourself, proving yourself to God. It's all about what you achieve. Grace is about what you receive. It's all about merits, but grace is all about mercy. And when you're prideful, what? It brings division. But you know what? We're recipients of grace. And that's why he says three times in this text that we're supposed to be a place of thankfulness. That we're supposed to be full of thanksgiving, full of kindness. Why? Because we've received grace. We have a lot to be thankful for. Now he says compassion. And I, I, I wish I had time to go into all of this. I feel like I could do full-on messages on so many different parts of this text. We could stay here in Colossians 3, do an entire series on it. Who knows? Maybe we will one day. But I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about what he says about God's peace ruling in our heart. And I want to talk about compassion. We'll talk about compassion just for a moment. First of all, humility and compassion, those were despised qualities in the ancient Roman world. 
No, they thought that was weakness. The ancient world was all about power. What kept their communities together wasn't grace. What kept their communities together was fear and power and might. And you put people in their place. But here he says that we're to have compassion. I read this quote about how the reason why we care about handicapped people is because of Christianity. The reason why we care about uh, people with mental illness, the reason why we care about people who are suffering is because Christianity brought that on the scene. In, In the ancient world that Jesus lived in, where he was healing lepers and blind people, he was caring for the people nobody else cared about. It's amazing. We could go on about that. But I want to say we want to be a place of of compassion. And when a suffering person walks in these doors, sometimes our knee-jerk reaction as Christians is to start throwing all these cliches out. Has that ever happened to you? Can anybody be like, amen, amen, I've gone those cliches before. You know, you start rattling off Bible verses. But you know what I love about Jesus? Even though he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in like 10 minutes, what does the Bible say he does? It says that Jesus wept. Dude, it's like, why are you crying? The guy's going to be alive like five minutes later. It's because, you know what? He wept before he went on to resurrect. And we need to do the same thing. We need to sympathize before we theologize. We need to just validate people's pain. Say, you know what? Your suffering's real. Your suffering moves me. The Bible says that we got to weep with those who weep. We want this to be a place of compassion where we do give people powerful truths. We do tell people Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We do tell people there's hope. But first we take time. We weep. We're compassionate. We could go on about that. He says that... uh, that the peace of Christ should rule in our hearts, that it should rule our ring, right? He should, he should be unrivaled in our hearts, that the peace of Christ should have center stage, it should be unrivaled, it should rule the ring, and that's when rivalries will end. You know, it's interesting, that word rule in Greek actually means umpire. Umpire, right? The Greeks, they were into athletics, they were into sports. He's the umpire, and I think an effective illustration could kind of come from Providence Park, Timber Stadium, right? What happens in a soccer game when you get too many fouls? The guy comes out, he throws down the yellow card, right? It's like, hey, you watch it, you watch it, you watch that, all right? But then you get real messed up, well, he throws the red card down. Ooh, ejected! You know, when you have bitterness, when you have strife, when you have jealousy, when you feel frustrated, if Jesus is unrivaled in your heart and he rules your ring, you know when that bitterness pops up? You say, you know what? The peace is the umpire in here. Jesus shed his blood to bring sinners together with God. You know what? If I'm going to let him rule in my ring, I'm going to throw down the red card. I'm going to throw down Jesus' blood. I'm going to say, ejected. You thought of of disunity. You thought of strife. You thought of hatred. I'm throwing down the blood of Jesus. He shed his blood to make peace possible. We need to be united. I'm going to lay aside my hatred. I'm going to lay aside my unforgiveness. I'm not going to hold on to things that Jesus' blood already paid for. You got to throw down the red card. Eject that thought. Jesus paid a price to make peace possible. Who are we to tear it down? Who are we to destroy that peace? He's called us to be one body. You've got to throw down that red card. You've got to let the peace of Christ umpire in your hearts. All right, the next thing is that some songs can't be sung on your own. Some songs can't be sung on your own. He says to teach one another. He says, he says that we should let the message of Christ dwell in us richly. And when that happens, songs are going to 
burst out of us, and songs and singing are going to come out. But you know what? Some songs you just can't sing on your own. I mean, I know you got your Spotify playlist. You got like your Bethel. You got your Hillsong. You know, if you've been coming to church a while, maybe you get real fancy. You listen to little Phil Whitcomb. You like, you like got all this stuff on your playlist. But you know what? Some songs you just can't sing on your own. <laughs> hey, try singing this one alone in your car. It's like, all will sing out, hallelujah, we will sing. It's like, you can't sing that by yourself. I'm not going to sing. That's the problem. That's why we got better people up here. But like, you can't sing that song on your own. You can't sing about being the people of God. You can't sing about, about rising up together. You can't sing about all the, all the great things God's done all by yourself. You have to sing those songs together. Your Christian growth is a group activity. Your Christian growth is a group activity. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. The first lady herself said it, right? The, the former first lady, presidential candidate. It takes a village, right? It takes a village. No, you know what I'm talking about? But look at this. Colossians 3, 16. It says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts. We need to let the message of Christ dwell in us richly, not superficially. And that's why we're constantly preaching the gospel here. Maybe you're like, you know, that guy's always going on about the gospel. Hey, the center of the Bible is the gospel. It's all about the gospel. And some of us, we've let the gospel dwell among us superficially. But Paul says we need to let the message of Christ dwell in us richly. We need to remind each other. We need to remind ourselves. You come here each week so that I can remind you of those gospel truths that get buried throughout the week. Because you know what? It's easy to get back on that karma payment plan. It's easy to get back in that place. And not just where you're religiously trying to prove your goodness to God, but where you're trying to prove your goodness to yourself and to other people through your work through your followers on Instagram. You're trying to prove your righteousness. You're trying to justify your existence. Show, you know, I've got worth. I've got value. Look at my cool clothes. Look at where I shop. Look at the music I listen to. Look how I go to these cool restaurants. Look how much money I make. And you're trying to prove your worth. And you're trying to prove your worth. And you're trying to prove your worth. But you know what? You come to church, not to so you can prove your worth, but so that the worth of Christ that's already yours can be proclaimed to you that the worth of Christ would dwell among us richly. The message of Christ would dwell in us richly. You know the most common metaphor for God's word in the scripture is food. I like food. I like food a lot. Okay, we live in the right city to like us some food. But God's word constantly gets compared to food. It gets compared to meat. It gets compared to milk. It gets compared to bread. It gets compared to honey. You know, and the, there's something about sharing a meal with somebody else. I mean, eating alone's okay, but there's something a whole lot better about eating together. You know what? I'm, I'm a spiritual cook in some ways. Shepherds, that's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. Their main job is to feed the flock. And you come here, you can listen to podcasts by yourself. That's great. You can read God's word by yourself. It's phenomenal. But there's something about sharing a meal together. Why? Because then we can remind each other of the truths that we've learned together. I could go on about the singing. You know, what's the deal with all the singing? He says the psalms, the hymns, the spiritual songs. I hear some people, they're like, I like church. 
I kind of ditch out on the music, though. I just like to come in for the message. That's what I like to hear. But you know what? You and I are emotional creatures, not just rational creatures. And the reason why we take half the service and we sing is because clearly it's biblical, right? That's what it says, songs, hymns, spiritual songs. We take half the service to sing. Here's why. We anchor our ever-changing emotions to unchanging truth. See, Oxford Concise Dictionary defines music like this way. It says, music is a combination of sounds with a view to expression of emotion and beauty of form. Music, God knows, he tells us to sing because music is a way to hijack your crazy emotions and drive them back to the truths of God's word. You come in here and you sing these songs. That happens to me. My emotions are all over the place. I can be a very stressed out, a very worried, a very anxious, a very frustrated person. But what do we do? We come, we sing these songs, and it's a way to hijack your emotions that just reading or, or, or rationing or uh, uh, reasoning or, or rationality can't do it. We need the music, the emotion to anchor us to those truths, to tether our hearts. You come here, you sing these truths out by faith. You think the words through. Through, and it will recapture those emotions and take them captive so that the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts. That's why we come to church. That's why we sing these songs. That's why we hear God's word. We come to have our minds fed and our hearts recaptured. The music, it translates God's truth from the language of the head to the language of the heart And God knows that our emotions, they need a lot of help, don't they? They need a lot of help. They can be all over the place. We need to come commandeer them. We need to hijack them. We need to intercept them, our ever-changing emotions, and bring them back to God's unchanging truth. You know, I'm just going to be really, really upfront and real with you guys right now. I want to invite you guys to really, really put this message into practice. Because it's easy to kind of get lost in the motions of everything and just be like, you know, I come to church, I've been into that routine. But you know what, you've got to sink your roots in here. You've got to make this a, more than just an event you attend, but a family that you're a part of. That we'd be this community where we bear each other's burdens, where we get to know one another. You know what, that's going to be hard. That's going to take sacrifice. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be moments that are frustrating in it. But if we really transform this place into a space of grace together, if, if we rally around one another in our lives, the people we can reach, the things that we can accomplish, the, 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 the impact we can have in this city, the skeptics, the doubters, the haters that we can bring back in, that we can welcome them in together— We can do this. And that's why I'm talking about this team night. You know, it's easy for uh, announcements to kind of be tagged on at the end of service and have it just be this thing where it's like, oh, man, then, you know, uh, uh, then there's the announcements, and then I finally get to leave. I get to go get my coffee. I kind of like that after-party thing. I get a little snack, you know. And and you roll out. But when I'm talking about this team night, I'm inviting you to sink your roots and to make this thing a community. We want to launch action groups, which are going to meet all throughout the city. They're going to be a context for friendships to flourish, for things to be more than just uh, rows, but for things to turn into circles, because that's what the New Testament talks about. 
but it's not possible until we get more people on the team. It's just not. Like, we cannot move forward. We cannot really take our friendships and and take the bearing one another's burdens and end the loneliness that so many people face unless more people dig their, their, their feet into this thing and make it a reality. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, you know, I've always just come to church. You know, I've never really been part of the team. I've never been one of those people to serve. I've, I've never gotten on board with that thing. You know, if you do what you've always done, you're going to have what you always had. If you don't take it to the next level, if you just stay in that place, if you never rise up, you never enter in, you never go further, you never get to that place where you're teaching one another, where you're serving one another. You know, serving is the secret to growing. If, if our purpose is to grow into the image of Christ, what did Jesus spend his life doing? Serving. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. It says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. It's going to take sacrifice. If we're really going to be the people of love, the people of compassion that we want to be, we're going to have to sacrifice. You know, and it, it's, it's been incredible for me to watch how well this has gone in some ways. Because this went from being just a little prayer, just in a little idea that was in my heart and my wife's heart, a little spark, and it's become a reality. You know, I read a Facebook post that was pretty phenomenal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. Where this woman said this. She gave me permission to read it. I'm not going to mention her name. She said this. I'm not what you'd call a churchgoer. I've never really felt comfortable or accepted at any place that I've checked out. And maybe that has a lot to do with me and where my heart stands in with religion in general. But today I checked out the second service of a new church in Portland called Reason Church, Pastor Jesse Lusco, and I loved the raw honesty that came out. No show, no act, just pure love and a heart of faith that burned within. I felt nervous going alone, and I had low expectations. But surprisingly, I felt welcome. I felt wanted. I was blown away on a spiritual and human level. Can we put our hands together for that? You know, that lady's been back every single week, and she's bringing her husband now. It's changed. You know that I've heard countless other stories about people who haven't been to church in 15, 20 years, you know, who, who, are, who are sinking their roots in here, who are feeling loved, who are feeling welcomed. But if we're going to kick it to the next level, it's going to take more of us saying, you know what, I believe in that vision. I believe in skeptics being welcomed. I believe in in loving one another and not just coming to a church and showing up like it's a commodity, but really being a community. It's going to take everybody pitching in, everybody doing their part. There are some songs you can't sing on your own. Finally, every game can be about one name. Check this out. This is where it gets really good. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. I know I say that about a lot of verses, but for real. (laughs) And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you read in his name, and I know that On our prayers, that sounds like walkie-talkie language. Like, oh, in his name. That's like the code word in Jesus' name. That's like, roger, roger, over and out. You know, you just that's how you hang up. Like, that's how you hang up when you pray. But in his name, that's not how they would understand it. When it was said, it means in his character. According to his nature. 
based on his authority. Hey, and most importantly, for his glory. When you pray in Jesus' name, that means what everything you said before it needs to be in his fame. But he's calling us here not to just do our prayers in Jesus' name, but to do our practice in Jesus' name. That every part of our life would be about his glory. Want to know why people uh, don't really feel like a need to show up to church? It's because they see spirituality as something personal and something optional. People who don't who feel like, oh, I can follow Jesus, but I don't really need to be a part of the church, they view it as a supplement. Like, you know, you go to Cure Juice Bar, and you're like, well, yeah, I'll take the free supplement. Why not? Just like toss it right in there. It's fantastic. You know, throw it in there. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll throw in a little more Jesus in my life because it'll make my personal agenda. It'll give me an inner peace. It'll kind of make me a better person. Sure. I'll sprinkle a little spirituality in there. That's nice. Hey, Jesus doesn't want to be a supplement to your life. He wants to be your life. Jesus doesn't, yeah, you could, you could, you could yeah, we could rally around that. We could, we could get stoked on that. He doesn't want a cameo in your production. He wants all your scenes to be a part of his production. And I need to let you know, this is not a drudgery. This is not an obligation. This is not a bummer. Because here's the deal. When I do everything in my name, I do it from a place of fear. I do it from a place of pride, right? I look at things and it's all about arrogance or it's all about insecurity, what, you go, to, you go to your job and you're like, oh my gosh, what does everybody think about me? What are they looking at me? What does my boss think about me? What does that coworker think about me? You go to school, it's like, oh my gosh, what does my teacher think? What does my coach think? What does this person think? What, what about my name? What about my name? What about my name? And there's fear or there's pride. But what if you could do everything in life from a starting point of praise? You know what would happen? Mundane things would become monumental things. Things that seem trivial and tedious would become triumphant. I watched this happen in my own life. I watched, as I started living for Jesus' glory, I actually watched my GPA change in school. All right, I, I watched it take me from like the worst kid in the class to being on an honor roll. Not in this goody-two-shoes way about my pride, but saying, you know what, I can do everything in Jesus' name. You can, you can go drink some Kova coffee in Jesus' name. You can. Like, you can do everything in his name. And you know what happens? You go from a place of apathy to a place of passion. But here's the real kicker. Here's the real kicker. When everything's about Jesus' name, when his name is the priority, unity becomes an inevitability. If everything's about your name, if everything's about my name, what do we do? We pull apart. We rip apart because it's like, what? I'm not getting enough attention. I'm not getting enough recognition. I'm not getting enough of that. But when it's all about his name, it's all about his glory, it's all about his fame, what does it do? It brings us together. It unites us. We draw near. When his name is unrivaled, all the rivalries end. When it's all about his praise, peace becomes a possibility. And when we're living for the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, Everything changes, all the strife, all the tension, all the ego, all the arrogance. It comes to an end, and peace becomes possible. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that this would happen. I pray that we would rise up, that we would not just come to church. We would be the church.
that we would rally around the name of Jesus, that we'd rally around the one who is the name that's above every name. You may be here today, you may be wondering, well, I like that unity stuff. I like that community stuff. I, I like the idea of not being alone. I think church is good because it's, it's a community and it gets people together. That's fantastic. But why does it have to be about Jesus? Why, why can't it just be about the community? Why can't it be about, you know, just us? Like, why does it have to be about him? I, I don't get that. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Jesus is the one person who saw us in our sins, who saw us separated, alienated, isolated, far from God. And Jesus was willing to have his name cursed so we could be blessed. Jesus was willing to be forsaken by his friends, forsaken by his father, so you and I could be forgiven. Jesus was willing to be abused and beaten and cast out so we could be called in. We're sinners. Our pride, our ego, it will rip us apart. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from one another. But Jesus was willing to be torn apart so that you and I could be brought together. That's why it's in Jesus' name. And if you're here today, as everybody's praying, and as every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I just want to invite you to put your faith in that name. Maybe you've had bad experiences at churches that haven't lived this out. Maybe you haven't, you know, maybe you felt frustrated with all the religion, all this. But you know what? When you get that message of grace, that Jesus wants to give you a clean start, that he wants to give you a new heart, he wants to give you a new lease on life. He doesn't want you to just turn over a new leaf. He wants a whole new life, a whole new game, a whole new plan, a whole new purpose, a whole new destiny. He wants to bring you into his people. He wants to fill you with his spirit. He wants to give you something, a reason to live for. And if that's you, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to say, you know what? I believe that he paid for my debt on the cross. I believe he paid to make peace possible. If that's you, I'm going to give you an invitation to put your trust in Jesus right now. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in the air. And I know it's kind of a funny thing, and maybe people see it as a gimmick. Maybe they see it as a tradition. I just see it as an act of honesty. I see it as an act of humility that you're just indicating, you know what? I'll I'll get past my ego. I'll get past my pride. I'll admit that I need Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up? We just do it on the count of three. I I like to do it on the count of three. Why? Because it's easy to procrastinate. It's easy to be like, ah, maybe I'll do it next week. Maybe I'll do it later. Maybe I'll wait till then. But you know what? Now's time. Now's the day of salvation. Now's the accepted time. On the count of three, would you just put your hand in the air? One, Jesus died for you. Two, He is risen from the dead. He is able to save you. Three, would you just put your hand in the air? If you want to know you're not alone, you want to be welcomed into God's people, you want to know your sins are forgiven, just raise that hand in the air. That's spectacular. That's so beautiful, man. That's why we do this thing. That's why we fight so hard. We work so hard. We do it because we want to see this. Just raise your hand in the air.
Well, the Bible says you don't have to get all religious and get your act together and be perfect little princess to come to God. You just have to admit that you need him. And so that's what you're going to do right now. Can we just pray this all out loud together? Just pray this with them. Say this out loud from your heart to God. Say, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've gone my own way. And that's death. But I believe Jesus paid the price for me. And that he's risen from the dead. And that he's able to save me. I turn to you as my Savior. I trust in you as my Lord. Amen, amen. Can we celebrate? Hey, spectacular. Let's stand and sing together. Let's stand and sing.